As Brother Jerry mentioned, this series of uh, topics will be focused on refocusing on the family. Uh, I tend to think of something like a camera as you're trying to focus that in. And let's say that we're taking action pictures. Uh, sometimes you got to take those, you got to change the focus a little bit because something gets in the screen or something uh, gets in that lens. And so you have to readjust it and it's constantly readjusting. That's what we do with the family. Uh, now we typically use phones that do autofocus, so let me use an illustration that might help us understand that for those that are a little younger uh, that don't, don't remember doing that with cameras. A steering wheel. We do that we're constantly uh, moving that steering wheel so that we can keep focused and keep the car going in the direction that we want it to go. We're constantly correcting that. And that's what we do with the family because sometimes we lose focus. Sometimes things get out of focus. Sometimes we're focused on the wrong thing. And so we need to adjust and move the focus back to where it ought to be. In Psalm 127, verse 1 says, Except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. And you're going to see this slide a lot as we go through the, the series of messages. But the idea is that the Lord build the house. And house can mean many things. Uh, particularly on the family. Today we're going to focus a little differently because if I'm going to learn how to build a house, I need to know what he means by the Lord building the house. And so we're going to look at a passage in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49 to help us understand how to build a house. There's some engineering that goes involved that is involved in building a house. There's some ingenuity uh, that's involved. There's understanding how things connect like wires and plumbing and things like that, that if I don't understand those things, then I'm going to get lost and I'm not going to do it right and I'm going to have some struggles. And so we want to learn how to properly build the house. And so this is very basic in understanding what it means for the Lord to build the house for us. Luke chapter 6 verse 46 says, and why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that built without a foundation built an house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So we begin this uh, message with Jesus saying, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Why would we call Jesus Lord and then don't do what he says? My recommendation is to do what he says, but my, the flip side of that is, if you're not going to do what, is, what he says, don't call him Lord, because he's not. He is not your Lord if you're not doing what he says. That's implied in the word Lord. Okay, so if we're not going to do what he says, then don't call him Lord. That's why he's asking this question, why do you call me Lord? And then turn around and not do what I say. So it's very important as we understand, and he's going to liken this to a house that was being built. And I think that's how it fits into the message and uh, this whole theme of the meeting, if you will. So we've got to learn how to call him Lord and to do what he says. To actually follow through with that. And he begins that with saying, 
whosoever cometh to me. First of all, we have to set in our mind that we're going to come to Jesus. And what does that mean to come to Jesus? He goes, he explains that in some other passages, so let's investigate. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it says, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We have to live a life of self-denial, to take up the cross of self-denial, to mortify the deeds of the body so that we can serve him. You might be wondering, why in the world is there a raccoon on the screen? There's a story within the book where the red fern grows. The young man is trying to uh, trap a raccoon because he wants to train his dogs to hunt raccoons, but he doesn't know how to get that raccoon. His grandpa says, I know how to get him. He says, take this log and you put a hole in that log and you put something shiny in that log because raccoons can't resist something that's shiny. He said, then you put nails in it so he can get his hand in, but once he grabs it, he can't get his hand out. And the reason that traps the raccoon is because he just can't let go. He will hang on to that shiny thing, and he can't get his hand out because it's fisted. All he has to do is let go and pull his hand out. But he can't do it. What's the one thing that you're holding on to? Jerry talked about the one thing we ought to desire, the one thing we ought to seek after, and that's to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's what it ought to be. There's always something that's out there that we're holding on to. We just don't want to give it up. We've got to learn to come to Jesus that every day is a day of self-denial. Every day is giving up something that I want, that shiny object, and I've got to let go. Or are you going to be stuck in the log and die because you just can't let it go? That's the idea that he's talking about here, that if we're going to come to him, that's what he means, when, whosoever comes to me. He means to let go of you. How many times do we let just some little things get in the way of us truly coming to Jesus? And we may make up all kinds of excuses as to why we may do those things. Why those things are better. There's nothing better than coming to Jesus. We need to come to Jesus every day denying ourselves. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, Jesus says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, this may seem like a really strange verse as we talk about the family to tell you you need to hate your family. <laughs> he's not literally saying hate, but he's saying that you need to love me so much so that you would forsake all others. So much so that the love that you give to me makes everybody else pale in comparison to what the love you have for me is. Does that make sense? He's not saying hate them literally. He's saying love them less than you love me that much more. Okay, so that's what he's talking about. So if we're going to come to him, we must forsake all others. We must put everybody else, including myself, Yea, in his own life also, that's the, that denial of self, so that I can come to him, so that I love him first. Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Have you taken on his yoke? <coughs> you know, a yoke is a burden. It's what it's meant to do. It's meant for work. It's meant for labor. And many of us haven't put on that yoke because we're not willing to put into work. We're not willing to go labor. Have you? Have you taken on his cross or his message? Have you taken on his burden? He says, Come to me, all ye that labor in the heaven laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And he says, My yoke is easy, my burden is light. He says, First of all, I'll give you rest, but you're going to take my burden. You're going to take my work. If you're going to come to Jesus, you've got to take on his work. And that leads us to the very next part. If we're going to come to him, he tells us how to do that in Luke chapter 6. He says if we're going to come to him, first of all, we need to hear what he says. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings. When I think of the difference, or when I think of hearing, I think of hearing something in the background. On the way here, uh, Ty has a, some, some kind of noise uh, in his car. And as we're going along, I can hear it. I'm not really paying attention. He says, do you hear that? Now I'm listening. You see the difference? Now I'm really paying attention to the noise that's being made. And I said, I think that's your exhaust. And he kind of gives me a look like, hmm. Not so sure that's what it is. I said, well, okay, when we get to this stoplight, then put your car in park and rev it up. He revs it up. I said, I don't think it's your exhaust. <laughs> because I was listening. He thought he heard it as he was listening when you were revving it up. I didn't think I heard it. Could be my ears. I don't know. The point is that we were listening to it. We were hearing with intention and that is what Jesus is set talking about here is hearing with intention notice Acts 28 and verse 24 some believed the things which were spoken and some believed not and when they agreed not among themselves they departed after that Paul had spoken one word well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers saying go unto this people and say hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand and seeing ye shall see and not perceive for the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. You see, he had been preaching to the Jews, and then Isaiah was... <coughs> what did I do with that? There it is. I meant to put that on the pew. Uh... So the, Paul had been preaching to the Jews. And he says their, their ears are waxed gross. They were just sitting there like this. They didn't want to hear a word. That sounded weird, by the way, as you're talking. But they didn't want to hear what was being spoken. He says, well, go to the Gentiles. They'll hear it. And salvation will not be to the Jews. Why? Because they refuse to hear it. Why will it be to the Gentiles? Because they'll hear it. They'll be listening intentionally. When God is speaking, do we hear the adults in the Peanuts cartoon? 
Wah, 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 wah. This afternoon, we're going to talk about extended family relationships. And I'm going to throw this little bonus in there while we're talking about the wah wah of the Peanuts characters. Just a little bonus for this afternoon. Don't make that your mom's ringtone. It's just a good idea not to do that. I've done that, uh, got in trouble, so I had to switch it. That's for this afternoon. So we have the, but do we listen to Jesus and listen to God that way? That really all we're hearing is wah wah, wah wah? Because we're not really listening with intent. I don't know if you're listening to me right now. Some of you are looking at me, some of you are not. It doesn't really matter. My son is really good at drawing and listening at the same time. And it used to frustrate me because he'd be drawing and I'd ask him, did you hear what I said? Well, yeah. Well, what did I say? And he'd tell me back what it was. So I can't tell if he's listening or not. I guess most of the time he's listening. Sometimes we just can't tell. I can't tell if you're listening to me or not. I can't tell if it's wah, 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 wah. Or if you're really paying attention. Let's say for a moment that the mayor of the city that you live in, there's so many cities around here, I'm not talking about Houston necessarily, but the city that you live in, the mayor comes in to your home to talk to you, and at the same time, Abbott, is that the governor in Texas? Shows up to your house at the same time your mayor does. And at the same time, Donald Trump shows up at your house at the same time as these other two, and they're all telling you how to do this certain thing, and they're all telling you something different. Maybe they're even consistent in some ways, but a little different. Then who do you listen to? Wouldn't that be frustrating? On one hand, I should do what the mayor says because he's going to be close enough, he or she is going to be close enough to be able to uh, get to my house and see if I'm doing these things where Donald Trump is going to have less of an opportunity for that. However, if Donald Trump finds out that I'm doing something different than what he says to do, then he's got the full government behind him, the federal government. So what do I do? Maybe I just do what Abbott says. And still, I've got this middle ground. He's close enough, but he's far enough away. All these things. Who do I listen to? And that's exactly what happened when Peter, James, and John come to a mountain with Jesus, and Jesus has changed. He's transfigured. And on one hand, there's Moses, and on the other, there's Elijah. Now, they're not saying anything different, per se. They're not saying anything at all, really. They're just there. And Peter, James, and John see this, and Peter decides, you know what? Let us build here three tabernacles, one for each of them. One for Moses, one for Jesus, one for Elijah. And this is what God says. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. You see, we don't listen to Moses anymore. We don't have the law of Moses that we follow. It's not about the prophets anymore. That's not who we listen to. We listen to Jesus. We follow him. We do what he says. And it's about intentionally listening to what Jesus has to say. That is who we follow. Because Moses is not God's son. Elijah is not Lord. Jesus is. Listen to him. 
In John 10 and verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Do you know the voice of Jesus? Do you hear it? Are you listening? Or is all you hear, wah, 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 wah. Are we listening? If we're listening, it doesn't just stop there. Man, Christianity would be easy if that were the case. Then I really wouldn't have to deny myself, say that whole thing and come into me. But that's not all we do. We don't just listen with intention. It's much more than that. He says, as he goes on, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them. We've got to do what he says. It's not good enough just to hear what he says. We've got to do it. In James chapter 1 and verse 21, it says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Superfluity just means overflow. So we lay aside the overflow of evil and wickedness that we've done. And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So we take the word of God and we engraft it, we impart it, we put it into our lives. How? By doing it. It's not just listening, it's by doing. And we do those not being hearers only, deceiving ourselves. If we think all I have to do is hear it, there's more than that. And he goes on and gives an illustration. But for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer... He is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass or a mirror. <clears throat> For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So the idea is he uses this like a mirror. So sometimes we look in the mirror and we don't spend enough time in that mirror to notice the blemishes, to notice the faults, to notice the things that are going on physically, <coughs> to be able to, to, to determine that I need to do something different, that maybe I've got a hair out of place, maybe I've got, maybe I'd missed some shaving. Ty would say I missed all of it. That's what, but if we don't spend enough time in the mirror, we can't tell and then we get away from that mirror and we think it's out of sight, out of mind. How many times have we done that? We see it in the mirror, we don't fix it. We walk away and then we forget about it and somebody says, usually your spouse, they say, hey, do you know that this is going on? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. How often do we do that? It's because we didn't spend enough time in the mirror. Even when we were, we didn't do anything about it. We've got to do something about it. That's what it's like for a man that hears only and doesn't do what Jesus says. In Matthew 21, verse 28, says, But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether them twain did the will of his father, they say unto him the first. Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. So he was making an illustration here, trying to get the point across to the, to the Pharisees who claimed to hear the word of God and didn't do it, compared to the harlots and the publicans who were not hearing the word of God, never claimed that they were, and yet they were going to be doing it. Because what Jesus offered was something better than what the Pharisees were offering. 
So that's what, they, what he was trying to illustrate. But also want to notice within this is a lesson for us. Who's the one that did what, this, what the father said to do? Did it matter what they said before? The one said, I'm not going to go. And he went. And he did what his father said. The other one said, I'm going to go. But he didn't. Who did it? The one he said he wouldn't, wasn't going to go. You know, it really doesn't matter what you think, what you feel, or what you say. Just do what he says. I hear people all the time, well, my heart wasn't in it. Do it anyway. You know basically what that means, my heart wasn't in it? I don't feel like it. I don't want to. My kids, I tell them to go clean the room. One thing I know, they don't want to do it. <laughs> Their heart's not in it. They have to do it anyway. <laughs> I don't care how they feel about it. They can offer all kinds of excuses. I don't care. Just go clean your room. Why would we think that God would be any different? He doesn't care what you think. He doesn't care in this sense how you feel about it. He just wants you to go do it. You can make up all kinds of excuses and say, well, I don't want to. My heart's not in it. Well, get your heart into it. Notice this. John 14 and verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know why we say my heart's not in it? Because we think that that's a valid excuse. Because it says something like this. Because that's what love is, is having those feelings towards doing that. God wants me to have feelings towards that. And so he wants my heart into it. And so if my heart's not into it, he really doesn't want me to do that. That's a misunderstanding of the word love. Jesus wants, in, in the way that he talks about love in the Bible, it's about giving. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What he wants is us to give him our life and give him our heart, to follow after him, to deny ourselves and take up his cross every day, doing what he says. Because we're giving our life to him and we're expressing our love to him in that way. Sometimes we're not going to feel it. Sometimes we're going to feel like doing something else on Sunday morning. Go to church anyway. Sometimes we're not going to feel like doing this type of a work. <clears throat> Summer, I love you. I love CB. I did not feel like going yesterday to do the work that we were doing. But because I love CB and I love Summer, I was willing to go. It was hot. And it was a lot of work. It was worth it. That's what Jesus is saying. I don't care how you feel about it, but if you love me, you'll give it to me. You'll do what I say. You know, there are two types of people in the world, and that's what Jesus is about to explain. There's the people who hear what Jesus says and does them, and there's the people who hears what Jesus says and they don't do them. So let's talk about the one who does, because that's where Jesus starts. The one who does, he says, I will show you to whom he is like. He's like a man which built a house. Now, both of the men in this story 
build a house. And I want to be very clear about that. But this man built the house, and when he was building the house, he digged deep. In other words, he dug deep. That's the way we would use grammar today. He dug deep. There was a foundation that he wanted to build, and so he dug deep to make sure that that foundation was sure and strong. You know, when you think about Luke 9 and verse 23 that I keep going back to, the idea of coming to him and denying ourselves and taking up the cross daily, when you think about that, that's digging deep. That's what he's talking about there. It's a lot of work and a lot of labor. It's digging deep to make sure that that foundation is secure and sure. In Psalm 1 and verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season, his fruit in his season. His leaf also does not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. This is about committing to the law. In his law doth he meditate day and night. This is not just someone who hears it, it's someone who does it, and someone who digs deep in listening to what God has to say so that they can put that in their lives. And he compares that to a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. I used to live in Farmington, New Mexico. That's steppe desert up there. So there's a lot of plateaus and things. Now, Farmington is mostly in the bowl of, of a, several mesas that are out there. Uh, but there were three rivers that came into the area of Farmington in that Four Corners area. Where do you think the trees were? They were along the in cottonwoods, a whole bunch of them. And boy, in spring, that would be awful because they'd blow in and <clears throat> I'd just blow up. It'd be a, a terrible thing. But they were the only trees. You found some mesquites and things like that, so a few of them. And there were some trees that might be in someone's yard because they water a lot. Speaking of water, because that's what they are forced to do in order to have grass out there. I never had to mow the lawn once while I lived in Farmington. It was, that was fantastic. But I also missed the trees. And now I'm back in green country in Tulsa where we have lots of trees. And it's wonderful being, but I have to mow a lot. Or we have to mow a lot. Why do they last there? Because of taking in that water. That's why the trees can make it by that river because they're their roots go into that river, into that water where that source is, and they can draw from that and they can grow. This tree right here is a shepherd's tree, and they're found in the Kalahari Desert. Now, you'll notice, well, maybe you can't tell, there's no river there. So how do they last? How do they sustain themselves? The roots go 230 feet deep. That's how they last. They go where the water is. They dig deep and that's the idea of what he's talking about in Luke chapter 6 we've got to dig deep we got to get to the source and that source is Jesus Christ and we need to put that into our life so that we can grow like this tree that's the idea and he dig deep and he laid a foundation and that foundation was on a rock that's the found type of foundation that he laid in Psalm 92 and verse 13 says, Those that he planted in the house of the Lord 
shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. The foundation that we build our house on must be on the rock that is Jesus Christ. And when we do, we will flourish. We will be successful. Now, he's not talking about monetary success. He's not talking about physical success necessarily. But he's talking about the type of success that no matter what happens in life, which we'll get to in just a moment, we're okay. And we're going to be all right. So he says, He that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth. No foundation. He just goes out there and he builds. And he puts his house on the ground. That's the one that hears the sayings of mine and doesn't do them. Not mine, but Jesus'. That's this man. Psalm 127 and verse 1, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh or stays awake in vain. This is the type of person that the Lord is not building that city or building that house. And he's laboring in vain. Eventually, that house is going to fall. That's what he's talking about here. So this is the type of person that decides that the Lord is not going to build my house. I'm going to build my house. I'm not going to deny myself. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to live my life my way. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? We may not say those things, but by our life, that's what we're doing. And the Lord is not building the house, and you are uh, laboring in vain if you're trying to build it that way. It's going to fall. Think about the Lord keeping the city there. In the old, old days, they had walls that surrounded, think of Jericho. They had walls that surrounded that city. And they had watchmen on those walls so that if somebody was coming, they would know to defend themselves. What if there's a hole in the wall somewhere? That's what happens when the Lord isn't keeping the city. There's holes in the wall. And the enemy gets through and tears it down and destroys the city. That's the idea that's being put forth here is the Lord building the house and keeping the city. Is the Lord building your house? Is he keeping your city? He says in that passage, when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house, in that sense, he is talking about the one who hears these things and does them. And the house stands. I want you to notice the correlation of this storm that came and the other storm that comes to the one that built his house on the earth with no foundation, against which the stream did beat vehemently. The storm was no different. Do you see that? Storms, the storm approach, you know, it rains on the just and the unjust. That's what the Bible says. And we know that to be true. Rain just happens. It's, a, it's natural. But those fail, fell, and failed. But they fell. Because the house was not built with the right kind of foundation. They didn't dig deep. They weren't hearing the sayings of Jesus and then doing them. 
Psalm 125, verse 1, They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. You know, the fact of the matter is the storms of life happen. Things that are out of our control. Sometimes we lose our job because they're laying people off and we lose our job. Sometimes people get sick. Sometimes we have to pay our bills and we're trying to figure out how in the world we're going to do that. Sometimes things aren't going the way we think they ought to go. Sometimes people die in our families. Storms happen, and they happen to people who are building their foundation on the Lord, and they happen to people who aren't. What's going to happen to the house when those storms hit? See, what he's talking about here is not taking away all those storms. That's not what he's talking about. Those storms are going to happen. What he is talking about is whether or not we're going to stand whenever those storms come. Are we going to be able to endure when those storms come? And with Jesus instructing us, us listening to what he's saying, and putting those into our home and in our house, and building our life and framing our life around that foundation, then we'll last. We will endure. That is the point that he's making. As he surrounds round about, as the mountains are around Jerusalem, the Lord will surround us. What he's saying and what he, what he, what he wants us to do will help us to endure and to last and to stay upright. He's going to help us guide through it. When you feel like you can't catch a break, when you feel like just giving in, when you think you're at that breaking point, where are you putting your trust? Are you listening to Jesus? Or are you doing what he says? And 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1 says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Are you listening to Jesus? Are you doing what he says? Because this house will be dissolved. This is a temporary tent, and it's going to be dissolved. But the house that he's building for us for eternity will not. It will be forever. Are we allowing him to build that house for us by us building that house for him in our lives right now? Whatever is going on in your life, you may have these storms coming right now. They may not be coming at all right now, but they will. So it's time to dig deep. It's time to lay that foundation on the rock that is Jesus Christ, to hear these sayings of his and to do them.